Hey everyone, welcome to the world's OKS Entrepreneur, the podcast for the OK Entrepreneur who doesn't have an MBA and is just kind of figuring it out on the fly. I'm Andrew Vomloff, and I'm here with my co-host, Larissa Loden. And today we talk to Haley Matthews Jones. Uh, Haley has been an uh, integral part of the Twin Cities kind of maker community. She started with Minneapolis Craft Market and then went on to have the Minneapolis Vintage Market. But she also helps co-run um, the Get Down Coffee Company. And it was so interesting this episode. I learned so much about Haley. And I think it just like this kind of story that we tell ourselves of like people on the outside, but they always look like they have it all put together and like really on the inside, it's just um, a different story of kind of making things go and then that reflection. I just really like this episode hit for me in a special way. So on to the episode. On to the episode. All right. So I think I, I just like literally like have to ask this question of like, because we booked this a while ago, this podcast. I don't think any of us really thought that tomorrow would be Thanksgiving when we... Well, I did. And I was like, that's an interesting... <laughs> <laughs> this sure. team was like, oh, we're just like, we're every other Wednesday. These are yeah, the yeah. Wednesdays you have available. I've spoken like a true person that just says in a perpetual a bind of managing their calendar. But you co-run like two very intense, like you're the CEO of Minneapolis Craft Market and the Vintage Market, and then also the CEO of the Get Down Coffee Company, which are CEO all- of the Get Down. Interesting. Yeah, that's so weird because online I saw like an article that said CEO of both. So that's why I was like, no, that would that would be Houston White. Okay. Well, that's what I thought. And I was like, we were kind of curious getting into this because when we were preparing for it, we were like, oh, maybe that was new and recent where it's like, yeah, like maybe he was like the chairman. Oh, got it. No, that would be a typo. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought that you were the COO. So but anyways, like that is like operationally, like those two things are operationally like I can imagine the story I'm telling myself is that they're very intense right now at this specific moment going into the holidays. Yes. So how are you doing? I'm fine. <laughs> it's just a little eye twitch. It's fine. No, I'm, I'm good. This time of year is just insanely busy with the, the craft market and the, the vintage market is less so. But the craft market, we have five markets every weekend now through Christmas and we are opening a retail store downtown, a 6,500 square foot retail store which was an opportunity that presented itself five weeks ago. Whoa. So that has been very hectic and exciting and awesome. And it's coming together. I was I literally just came from there. So that's a new thing that we were not anticipating doing. I had my schedule all set in September and was feeling like got control on under all of this and our events were selling well and and then Holodazzle got cancelled. Yeah. And that is a really significant part of our end of year income for us and our vendors. And so then an opportunity came up to open this retail space instead. And they were like, do you want to open on Black Friday? And what? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sounds great. I'll get to work. And that's what we did. So we'll have almost 40 vendors down there and uh, local artists and makers and some vintage and right on the corner of 8th and Nicolette in the old Hubert White space. Wow. Yeah. So that's been kind of a scramble to get it all up and running. But I just this week started to get a little emotional because it's real. Like yeah. it's a real store and the vendors have just done such a great job of merchandising everything and building these displays from nothing. And it's really real. It's really happening. So when you're hit with an opportunity like this, so five weeks ago, you're given this opportunity. 
it's presented. Yes. My immediate question as somebody who also runs a retail business, five weeks ago, if somebody had given me that opportunity, I would have been like, yeah, but my Black Friday schedule's like, it's dialed in. I, I have so much I'm already doing. <laughs> was your immediate answer in your brain like, no, or was it how? My immediate answer was yes, and then let's figure out how. At that point, I think if we hadn't had the cancellation of Holodazzle, if this had been in addition to what I was planning, I would have been like, we're maxed out. But because of that, that's such a key part. You know, that's a five-week event that goes from Black Friday through Christmas. And so that's such a key part of our end-of-year income that to lose that literally uh, four weeks before it was about to start, after it had already been, you know, that revenue had been collected and accounted for kind of thing. So that was just a a really big wrench in the works. And so, you know, at that point, it's like, we need to figure something out. And I feel like I tell myself I do some of my best work under pressure. And then I'm like, but I really don't want to. Like, I wish I wish I didn't have to be under pressure. And sometimes it's pressure I put on myself through procrastinating or just poor time management or, you know, whatever. And then other times it's unexpected things come up or get canceled and you just have to the dreaded word pivot, you know, and and we did that in the pandemic as well. And, you know, a project that I had been planning to do over the course of 12 months got launched in six weeks instead. And that's just sometimes you just have to do that. And it's kind of a battle with myself sometimes to think like progress over perfection, you know, and sometimes I just have to put something out there and I struggle with that. I always want it to be perfect and finished and exactly how I envisioned it. And sometimes you just have to something and know that you can finesse it as you go along and evolve. I think that's really interesting because I, I'm curious about you because like very much so I see you in this like kind of visionary, like I have this idea and I want to grow it. But then also, as you said, like you're the COO of the Get Down Coffee Company and like there is a lot of operations that happen in event spaces. And do you feel like you can kind of like be a person that then is like, I'm dreaming up things and I'm kind of willing them into the universe, which is that kind of that more CEO. And then do you kind of also then equally have, are they both equal is what I guess what I'm just saying is like that visionary and that operator combo platter within you? That's such an interesting question because I feel like that's something I have spent a lot of time thinking about this past year and just trying to visualize what I see for myself and where I want to be and what really fulfills me. And I think Some of the operations stuff has come almost by chance. Like that was a lot of my professional background, which was in event production. And so that's a really heavy component of that. But then it also is that visionary creative piece. So I think I need both. But I think going into this next phase, like I turned 40 last year and that was kind of a real um, line in the sand for me of thinking then in decades, right? And like, what does this next 10 years look like? Where do I want to be at 50? And so I think... I've been just doing a lot of inner work on trying to understand myself and what is what fills my cup in that way. And I would say I'm leaning more into, I think, the vision and the creative piece and the operations is less exciting to me because to some extent, when you know operations, you know operations. And it's a little bit like, well, whether it's coffee or it's craft markets or it's whatever, like once you know that, it becomes less exciting to me because I think there's less potential for growth in that. It's so systems based and I do enjoy that piece, but I really to feel stretched and to feel, you know, even this store opening has been such a stretch of how to think creatively, how to do things on a fast timeline, how to envision something on a small budget and, you know, money that we weren't anticipating spending to fill such a big space. Like those are the things that really 
make me feel like I'm growing as a business person, as a leader, as a manager, you know, and and so those are the things that I think I am going to gravitate more to in the next 10 years. Basically pushing up against the the edge of like what you think is possible. Yeah, always. My question is always like not if, it's how, you know, or or when. Like I don't really, I don't think there's anything I couldn't do if I wanted to do it. It's just what what do I want to do? That's my question to myself all the time is what do you want? You know, and a lot of people can't answer that question. So that's a Something I try and focus on a lot is like, what am I actually trying to get to? Right. I think it's easy sometimes to to be inspired in those moments where that's foisted upon you, where it's literally like, you have to do this in five weeks. But I think it's even harder sometimes to go, well, the world is my oyster. How do I challenge? How do I push up to what's possible within this, like, within this boundary that I'm creating for myself? Like, without that pressure, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I think you have to deliberately, very deliberately create space to do that. And so... That's another piece that I'm like working on just personally for myself is dedicating strategic time every week. And so I I went to a talk earlier this year and the presenter was saying that he has, he sets himself an hour at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. for strategic planning every day. Interesting. I was like two hours a day, that's 10 hours a week in a work week, like 10 hours a week. I don't probably don't do 10 hours a year of strategic planning currently. And so that's like, okay, well, let's start small. Let's do 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. What does it look like if you journal for 15 minutes and think about those things? And so it's like a practice that I need to very deliberately work on. Like, And I think that's as business owners, as you both know, like you're so in the weeds sometimes of just producing the thing and making the things work yeah. that you rarely get that chance to, unless you specifically set aside time to step back and say, what are we doing? are we doing what we want to be doing? And that's another piece of it. I think in all of the businesses that I work in, we could easily fill our time with what other people want us to do or ask us to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's become more challenging. I think as you become more publicly visible, you get more requests and more inquiries and, hey, we want to partner on this and, hey, we want to do that. And they're all like great things and yeah. worthy projects and and everything. And also... I could spend my whole time just delivering what other people see as their vision for us and never actually keeping in mind, what are we trying to build? Where are we trying to reach? No, I think that's so profound. I'm also equally in that time of like, I've been like, wow, I've worked in a business and not on a business for so long. I'm just very curious, like, have you been able to keep to that? Like, I'm sure it's like a tricky question of your like most times, but have you been able to kind of really start that journaling practice for yourself? Yeah, that's it's been slow. I'll, I'll admit, and there's definitely phases of the year where it's more reliable. This month in November, I am currently doing a 30-day challenge of focus on my business. And so I've been up at 5 a.m. every day and I am not a morning person. This is a big challenge for me. And it's something, <laughs> it's something I've like wanted to do for a really long time. And sometimes I think I just need to put very specific parameters around it. Like 30 days, oh, you have to do it every day is a lot easier than just you should get up earlier. You should eat healthier. Like what does that actually mean like in a tangible practice? And so that has been part of that is like getting up two and a half hours before my kids are even awake and getting a quarter of a day work done yeah. or like thinking or whatever that two and a half hours can be used for that wasn't in my day before. Have you done the, uh, do you do the thing where you don't hit the snooze? You just have to get up when that I have alarm to. goes on? Yeah. yeah. And I, I've been, what I've noticed is my body wakes up dead on at like five o'clock 
And then if I do get up, I'm good. Yeah. If I even close my eyes for five minutes, it's not happening. Like, yep. then, then it's 7.30 and I'm yeah. like, what happened? For sure. Yep. Do you feel like you're getting some of your best work done in that two hours? I do. And I feel just generally less less stressed because, like I said, I've gotten half of my day's work done before my kids are even awake. And then I feel like I can actually enjoy the morning with them. You know, they're on the school bus at nine. So like by the time I've done that, usually I'm not st- sitting down at my desk until 9.30 and then I'm behind on the day. So it just feels good to be like, okay, I got something productive done, whatever that was. I know there was a CEO that I listened to that she said very much so. She all actually works from four to noon and like she just gets so much done because she's for four hours, she's doing stuff like with no interruptions or anything. And then after noon, then she can really kind of do that whole like life part, like, you know, go see a friend or whatever. The only caveat to that is that you don't really have a nightlife, which at some point right. time you're like, actually, you're like, I don't know if I actually need to be up at 10 o'clock yeah, anymore. No, nothing good happens to me after 10 o'clock <laughs> at night. I'm like a gremlin. It's just, yeah, nothing good is going to happen. So it's been, that's been an interesting practice. And I was like, really struggled with it. I'm like, why? I'm just not a morning person. It's like, yeah, because you go to sleep at one in the morning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, of course you don't want to get up at six. God. So do you feel like you're becoming a morning person? Now? Yeah, it turns out if you go to bed at 10 <laughs> o'clock, you can get up in the morning. Imagine. Yeah. I'm like, fuck, I, it only took me 40 years to figure that out. Yeah. Like, yeah. What did you lose at night then, really? Did you lose anything? Oh, some doom scrolling, some TikToking, like some, yeah, nothing of any value or merit. No, uh, nothing good was happening. It's so weird that we tell ourselves that, like, we want nothing more than to stay in bed and go to sleep in the morning. But then when it comes to going to bed, we want nothing more than to just keep staying up until... It's true. It's like my kids, like, they fight me every night on, like, I'll run them a bath and, like, I'm like... I wish someone would run me a bath and tell me yeah. to go to bed. Like that's like dream. That's like a- actual goals. I'm yeah. like, why are you fighting me on this? This is the best. Kids just don't realize how good they have they it. Really I'm don't. like, I prepared. Like I made fucking grilled fish with potatoes and grilled asparagus last night, and they were like, "What is this hot yeah, garbage like, you just serving?" Yeah. And I was like, "All I want in life is a private chef to come and be like, the rest of this is your, your meal." Yeah, I can't wait for that tomorrow. I'm going to spend four hours in the kitchen for everyone to go, "What the fuck is this?" Oh, I know. Does yeah. this come with ketchup? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I even put ketchup on their potatoes. I was trying to convince them that they were French fries. Like, I'm like, they are the same thing. Yeah. And they were like looking at me like, "What are you smoking, mom? French yeah. fries and potatoes? Like boiled potatoes yeah, are not the gross. same thing." Yeah. Like, it's just not the same thing. Speaking of kids, I'm always so curious, like, you know, bring us back to young, young Haley. Like, what were what was your childhood like? Like, you know, because you were not born here. No, yeah. No, I grew up in London. So, oh, gosh, this like, how deep do we want to go on this? I I mean, as deep as you're willing to share. I mean, but London's big. Like, and I feel like they're very like different parts of London, too. Yeah. So I grew up in southeast London in Greenwich, mainly with my mom and my sister and yeah, we just, I don't know, it was a great place to live. And I, I get back now, my goal is to get back twice a year, which I did this year. And I think every time I go back, I, I'm i just more conscious of how lucky I was to experience that growing up. Like to grow up in a major city with access to everything and so much diversity and just, you know, I saw like a, as a kid, like I remember doing a, a school trip to like see Tutankhamun's like sarcophagus as a nine-year-old and like you know nine-year-old me was like yeah cool whatever you know and now I'm like what the fuck like you know just stuff like that seeing the art there and 
just exposure to so much. And I think I didn't fully appreciate that. And I feel so grateful for it every time I go home and just just the immersion in like you it's truly a world city and I think it's the best city in the world <laughs> sorry New York I know you're you know for me it would be Copenhagen Copenhagen I was oh, like oh really I've oh, never been it's oh, on my I was, list I was like I got there this year and I was like this is the city uh, of all cities yeah were you like a really good student were you like really like studious or were you kind of just like this is what you get for me school <laughs> Much to my mum's chagrin and probably my sister's, I would say I was a great student with very little work, which is like the most annoying kind of person, (laughs) you know, like academically, like it just made sense to me. Like I have a good memory. My dad had a good memory and and I didn't ever really have to study a lot. And so it just kind of like, oh, you read it. And then in my brain, it just was like, well, that's locked in. What's next? You know? And so I always enjoyed school. I really enjoyed art. Like that was my first love, like painting, drawing and ceramics. And so grew up and I went to art school. I did uh, silversmithing and metalwork and realized about halfway through my degree that I enjoyed like coordinating the exhibitions more than I enjoyed making the work to go into them. So, but yeah. Was that one of your light bulb moments then? Yeah, I would say so. And I think I just did the wrong course primarily. So I always thought I would do painting or drawing. And I was, I'm not going to lie, I was fucking great at it. I was fucking great at it. Like, and it's so weird because this is also something I've been processing this year is like, if you ask anyone in London, like, who is Hayley? Like, what does she do? They say she's an artist. Like, everyone who knows me, like, oh, yeah, you come to my house. My mom's house is full of drawings that I made. I haven't picked up a paintbrush since I moved to this country for various reasons. Yeah. But so it's interesting this there is this like line in the sand of my life of who I was before and who I am now. And I'm trying to return to that a little bit because I do miss it and it feels like a waste of talent. And I'm almost mad at myself that it's been 15 years since I've done anything. And so trying to edge back into that that world and uh it's a little bit painful. Yeah. Yeah. I personally identify that with that a lot. Like I did such a good job in my own company of like, well, because I didn't want to do like mass production or anything like that. But then I did a good job of like hiring myself out of certain things. And I just realized I was like, wow, I'm so not connected to the product that I make anymore. Interesting. So I I understand that because it's like one of these things of your like, I don't want to do that. And also to like scale a business, like hands-on manufacturing is very difficult, you know? So we started looking at other options for manufacturing and I had this epiphany moment. I was like trying to teach myself, like I did, I taught myself Adobe Illustrator. And then I was like, I don't want to teach myself CAD. I literally was like, nope, I don't fucking do it. And I was like, I actually don't enjoy these processes at all. And it was interesting because I was like, because they're not tangible. They're like nothing tactile. It's all on a computer screen. And I'm like, If you were like, I want you to hang out on a computer screen for eight hours a day, I'd be like, why don't you just kill me right Right, now? Right. I may as well work for someone else if I'm going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting thing. I think that my experience with art school was that it crushed all of the creativity out of me and the confidence out of me. And I came out of it feeling very disillusioned and very chewed up. Uh And it was like it was honestly like a very humiliating experience because it was something that I loved so much. And had heard my whole life, this is what you should be doing. This You're so great at this. And then I went to art school and they were just like, well, that's bullshit. 
And I just was like, you know, like 18-year-old Haley was just like, oh, crushed, you know. And it's it's really hard to stand up in front of a class full of people and be told that your work sucks and like constantly for three years. And so you come out of that thinking like, maybe I'm not any good at this. And so that's kind of, I think, where I got to at the end. And I didn't get into any of the painting or drawing classes that I applied to. So I was like, like technically... I'm great. And then, but they're telling me, and and I think that was like partly the, you know, and the, sorry if that sounds arrogant, but like, no. it's a fact. No. I was good at art, right? And so part of it was, I think at that period of time, which was like 1999, the trend at art school was all video installation. That's all they wanted was like avant-garde video installations. You know, there was no love for good, technical, precise, photorealism, painting, anything like that. It was all about technology and being the most off the wall and outlandish. It was like the Damien Hirst era in London. And, you know, it just, I think I was in the wrong time for that. And part of it was, I felt like if I was going to go to college for three years and spend the money to go to college, I wanted to learn something that I felt like I couldn't teach myself. And so that was part of the appeal of the silversmithing course was that was a skill I'd never had any practice in. Yeah. And so it felt new and challenging at the beginning. And then I just kind of got through it and was like, ah, it just doesn't excite me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think art school, my experience also was that if it looked too good or if it was too technically precise, it was bad because there that that means it it's overshadowing the concept and the concept was held in such high regard. They wanted you, they would rather have you put one line on a piece of paper and then write like a dissertation about that line versus. That was a hundred percent my experience. And it was so, just so frustrating, you know, and I just felt like, well, I had taken all this extra education. Like I literally was in extra art classes since I was four years old, you know, like I had done all this practice and had like studied so much and then was just told well, none of that matters. Right. And I just, I just really couldn't get over that feeling of like, well, but you know, you go to the National Gallery, I'm not seeing the the line on the wall there. I'm seeing these masters, you yeah, know, right. and like that was always just what I related to. And so, yeah, it was just a very like disillusioning experience and just really knocked my confidence, I would say. So there was. Right. And I think that's what I, some point why I gravitated towards the the craft and design scene is because it was so much more celebratory. Mm. You know, like they, there was such so much more of a community. So I, I was weighing these two things, like the gallery scene was so standoffish and everyone was like, had a very highbrow, but then yes. he went to the craft and the design scene, and it seemed like everyone was like celebrating how cool everything was and how like how much they loved loved the, the stuff that they were doing, it. the joy in it. Yeah, I love that. Right? Yeah, it, I think that was you know I grew up in a part of London that is not fancy at all, and you know like very much no airs and graces, and you know one of our favorite things is just don't be an asshole. And I just felt like everyone at art school was an asshole, like including the, a lot of the teachers. It was like, how pretentious can you be? How how much thought and like you said, how, how, how long of a dissertation can you write about, you know, a smudge of shit on the wall? Like, yes. <laughs> like literally, you know, just I remember going to Ruskin, which is the University of Oxford art school, and looked at their BA like final show and the like the award winning piece was a video that just played on a loop of a woman laying on the floor with her head in a chimney in a fireplace and i was just like what am i like what am i doing here? Yeah. like it felt like the emperor's new clothes constantly mm -hmm. yeah. and you know 
if that's your jam, if you're very into like conceptual video, yeah. more power to you. I love it. Um, I don't love it. But, you know, it just felt like this antithesis of everything I had learned up until that point. And so it was just very much like broke what I felt was my like guiding. Oh, this is this is the path for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, we, there was a common through line between your story and uh, Josie Lewis that we had previously on the podcast, which was that we talked about is this concept of like some reason you go to art school and for some reason it's just like these three of people's opinions matter, even though <laughs> right. like, they're never going to like, right. like they're not buying anybody's stuff. No. But it was like for some reason, teachers have such an impact on you, though, too, yeah. that it's like I don't. As a former educator, like I've looked back, I'm like, I don't think like we all have instances in our lives of like a teacher said one thing to you and it's completely like sliding door, like changed your ger- yeah, trajectory. Yeah, good or bad, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's so, um, this is like something else I've been thinking about recently is like the difference between fashion and style. Like I've been like meditating on that concept a little bit. And like I feel like art school is so much about what is in fashion right now and like every couple of years it oh, yeah. changes. So like when I was there, it was the video installation stuff and now it's probably something different. But to me, that is not, that's just based on whatever is in trend right now. And in a couple of years, that will be gone. And then you've got this whole swath of people who either went into this one discipline that is no longer cool, or you've got people who got put off because they weren't in that. And you told them that what they were doing was no good and that there was no value to it. And so I know I just, I struggle with the concept of art school and or college in general, to be honest. I've been thinking about that as well recently with my kids. I'm like, would I encourage either of my kids to go to university and be a hundred grand in debt? I don't know. I don't I don't believe I would encourage it, honestly. I mean, in this day and age, you can buy courses that you can take for a lot less and you can learn a lot more from people who are already doing it versus going and doing that textbook, you know, yep. spending 150 grand on a four-year degree yep. or more to figure that stuff out. Well, and I, I think entrepreneurship as a pathway is like... I don't believe that you need any formal education. It's it's literally being out there and doing it or having an idea and learning. And that was also my experience was coming out of university and every job I applied to was like, well, what's your work experience? And I said, well, I didn't have any because I was in university. And so you're still starting from scratch anyway. And so I think, you know, as I'm thinking about like, you know, my financial advisor's like, well, what about the college fund? I'm I know. Like, fuck it. Fuck them kids. Yeah. Like, they're, I'm they're, with you. <laughs> they're like, you need to start up this 529 plan. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm with you. I don't know if I would like if you truly want to go after something that requires a degree. Yeah, maybe. But even still a maybe because like I had to pay my way through school <laughs> for art education. And like I appreciated like the value out of my degree more because it was like this was my hard earned dollars. Yep. Making this thing count. But my husband, he dropped out the first year and he got so much more work. We were like, you know, he was making way more than I was at the time. Like by the time I was like starting to get money because people are like, at the end of the day, they're like, what work experience do you have? Like, to yep. your point, like, I've never hired anybody here and been like, oh, you went to this school? Exactly. Good on you. Well, and for what our, was your GPA? Right. For our parents' generation, it was a lot rarer. Like, I'm the yeah. first person in my family on both sides to go to college. And so, like, that felt rarer. For my kids' generation, everyone's got a bachelor's. Everybody. So now it's like, well, do you have a master's? Are you 200 grand in debt? You know, yeah. or more, whatever. Like, Seriously. Yeah, I, I think that there are way more valuable aspects of life and education. Like, I would personally rather send my kids abroad for three years yeah just go and live in a different country i'll yeah. give you a hundred grand whatever you, i was gonna say yeah. for your college like this off to another country for three years and learn and then come and tell me seriously tell me what you learned you know like i think that would be way more valuable they'll, they'll grow more as people doing solo travel than they 
would in college, I personally believe. No, I, I agree. I also just want America to adopt the piss off mentality of them. <laughs> Everyone would just piss off a little more. We'd all be, we'd all be there for it. I just sort of like you said it. I was like, but well, that is such a cathartic saying. I'm just like, I just am like, yes. Like, it's the Ron, we- Ron Weasley insult. Yeah. And all insult. No, it's amazing. Yeah. So what happened, like, so you were like, I'm applying to school and people are like, what is your work experience? So like, what happened next? Yeah, I did a lot of temping. So right out of right out of school, I did basically a year and a half of temping in various office environments. And I actually really enjoyed it. It was like super flexible. They'd be like, here's two weeks, go and work for FedEx. You're going to be answering the phones for two. I'm like, great. Pay was great. And then you just like, you know, then you get two weeks off and stuffing envelopes and filing things and like, you know, being left in a basement with my headphones to file for two weeks and getting paid like at the time, like 25 pounds an hour or something. Wow, was, wow. It was great money because no one else wants to do that, yes. that shitsy job, you know. Um, So I really enjoyed that. And it was a good way for me to kind of get, you know, more more work experience and see what I liked and didn't like. And I started working for the Royal College of Anesthetists, which is a medical college in London. And so I started there on the front desk and then an opening became available in the events department. And so I, because they already knew me for six months on the front desk, they were like, sure, we'll give you a chance. Like you seem like not a total schlub. So tell me about this. Like, so they're a dentist? Anesthetist. So it's like the um, professional education school for anesthetists. So continuing medical education, like that's the governing body. The people that put you to sleep. I totally was like, (laughs) my dad was a nurse anesthetist when I was growing up. So I was like, I was was just, I don't know why. I just thought in my brain was like, dentist, this seems co-collaborative here. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, 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 no, no, it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Medical education is what it was. So yeah. And then like conferences basically and uh, continuing medical education programs. So yeah. So it was like on the drier side of events, you know, like not, not the fun, glamorous events necessarily, but it was great experience. And I did that for a year and then I, then I pissed off around the world and then I landed here. (laughs) How long did you piss off around the world for? Eight months. Eight months. I came to the US. I spent like uh, 90 days on the mainland and then some time in Hawaii, Fiji, New Zealand, Australia, Thailand. And then, yeah, yeah. It was great. What did you learn? Oh, God, so much. Yeah. So much. I, so I, when I decided, I, this is something about me is like, I'll often get an idea and I'll say it out loud to someone. Um, and often they'll be like, why would you think that that was a thing you should or could do? And I'll be like, no, trust me. This is going to be great. And so I told my mom, like, I think I just need to leave on my own and go. And she was like, my mom's kind of a warrior. And so she was like, oh, my God, you're going to get killed. Women backpacking alone. You're going to get drugs put in your suitcase. I'm like, here's hoping. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, like that was the worst thing she could imagine. She's seen, like, banged up abroad of people getting, like, bricks of coke put in their backpacks. I'm like, we should all be so lucky. Yeah. Yeah. My kid, mom. Sorry. But, you know, so like she was immediately glass half empty, like all the terrible things are going to happen to you. And I was like, you know, I think it's going to be great. I think this is just what I need to do. And at that time, I did ask some friends and I had a boyfriend at the time and I asked him like, hey, do you want to go backpack around the world? And he was like, no. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I'm going to go. And so so I just left. And it was, I still say solo travel is the single biggest investment you can do in yourself, that and therapy. I think to travel alone, to land in a foreign country, especially if it's somewhere that doesn't speak the same language, is one of the biggest growth experiences you'll ever Mm -hmm. have. So to be able to 
experience that and, you know, just stretch yourself out of your comfort zone. Like I did the most amazing things on that trip that were, I'll never do again. I like scuba dived the Great Barrier Reef. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was terrified, you know, I'm like the Jaws generation, like very <laughs> terrified of sharks and just open water in general, not a particularly great swimmer. And I was on this catamaran in the Whitsunday Islands and I was like, you either need to get your ass in that water yeah. or you're going to regret it the rest of your life. You're like, you're so close. And so I bit the bullet and I did it. And it was one of the most terrifying and insanely amazing experiences I've ever had. I had several near-death experiences in Thailand with various vehicles and yeah it, like the moped scene is intense the, the mopeds, scooter, yeah, yes yeah. and just like riding in the back of a pickup truck on the highway with 25 other tourists yep and just like literally in the bed of a pickup truck i'm like this seems fine like i've been there yeah you don't need to know about survive. travel insurance yeah. it's great yeah so, so stuff like that is you know just uh getting out of your comfort zone and like i said just being anywhere that you're immersed especially if you're alone when you travel alone people will talk to you and you you will meet so many people even if you're with a friend or a partner people won't approach you in places if you're with someone else but if you're alone people will come up and talk to you and and on that whole route that was like the backpacker route that everyone in europe and australia does post college or pre college and so you just get these groups of people and you would see the same people in different places different cities so it was so fun it was just almost a whole year of solid partying it was great nice. <laughs> it was great i think though it is like that it does stretch your comfort zone so much, which I think is so integral to like entrepreneurship too, because it is you're charting the unknown every single day. So I think that's kind of my next question is, do you feel like that was because up until this point, you haven't like launched a business or anything. Did you feel like that experience alone helped you then start your first was actually the Minneapolis craft market your first venture? Or was there something in in between? Yeah, no, that was my first. um, But I didn't start that until 2015. So that was like seven or eight years after I moved here. I think what the traveling did was really sharpen my confidence and Mm. just understanding that like, oh, you can actually do this. Like when you envision something and are committed to it, like you can follow through with it. And that was a big, that was, I would say that was my first like big project that I just was like, I'm going to do this thing. Mm -hmm. Planned it and I figured it out and I, and I did it. And, and I, all without Google Maps. Without Google Maps. It was literally still in <laughs> yeah. the MapQuest, like print the paper map yeah. era. And then go to the internet cafe and plug in your digital camera and upload the photos to 12 Facebook I mean, like, albums. Let's just be clear here. It's like you land and there isn't a phone or anything like that. No. I mean, we've all traveled. Like I remember traveling like this and it was just so interesting because it's like now you land and you're like, okay, like I'm like on the flight. My plane is about to land and I'm like, okay, so how am I going to get to downtown? Got yeah. it. These are my options. Oh, well, my brain is switched off these days. Like I yeah. land and I'm like, oh, I'll figure it out when I get there, I guess. Yeah. That was like one of my mom's biggest concerns was like, how will you know where to go when you land in a new country? And I was like, I have my first two nights booked wherever I'm going. Everything else is like figure it out on the go, you know. And so it was, uh, yeah, definitely different to how it is now. But I think it just really helped me understand that this feeling that I had had inside for a really long time, like literally since I was a child, I knew that I was going to do something great. Mm -hmm. I knew it. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was for a really long time. But I, I knew that I felt like I was different. I felt like I was capable of something massive. And I just was like waiting for everything to fall into place of these are the things that I like. These are the things that I'm good at. 
these are the things that I would pay to do. How do I figure out how to get paid to do the Mm. things I want to do? And so that's been like a really big guiding principle in my work as well as just like, what do you enjoy doing and how can you figure out a way to make money doing that. Yeah. So is that what you were primarily doing then in that like seven to eight years before you started Minneapolis Craft Market? Uh, no, I was just hanging out. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I moved here from my ex-husband is American. And so we got married and then had our first kid in 2014. And actually, when I was in my day job, I was I felt like there was just this piece missing here. So like when I moved here, I, I recognize that there was this huge arts community and stuff but I and I there were like one-off annual craft fairs and then there were farmers markets but there wasn't like a market scene like there was in London and so I kind of waited for a while for someone else to start that I was like that has to be here and I just haven't found it yet yeah and then eventually I was like okay well I guess I'll start that and so it just became this I originally it was intended to just be like a side hobby on the side of my day job and then it immediately was so well received and went from a, maybe I'll do one a month to like, oh shit, maybe I'll do one every weekend. And then it was like, maybe I'll do two every weekend. And then it just kind of grew and grew. And then in two years, I was at the point with everything where I was still working a full-time day job. I had one child. I was pregnant with my second child, was married, had this side business and felt like I was doing nothing well. Yeah, And so... My husband at the time changed jobs and got health insurance through his work. I was previously carrying all the health insurance. And so that was the trigger to be able to say, I can ditch this job now because, you know, America and that's yeah. a whole different thing. It's so hard. I held on to teaching for so long because it was just purely the healthcare. I wonder how many more entrepreneurs we would have if we didn't. Isn't that wild yeah. to yeah. think about like, if you took away that burden of just, and then similarly, just like, took away the burden of if someone gets sick worrying about how the fuck they're going to pay for it yeah like i will never get over how trash of a system that is in the richest country in the world yeah i've put myself in many bad situations because i'm like i didn't i could probably just push through and not go to the hospital and then it's you like, have yeah i remember your montana trip story and i was like oh man yeah there's that one and then there's that's, another that's one that one that's there's multiple yeah there's multiple of just like I'll just splint it. It's probably fine. I mean, there was a point where I thought I had appendicitis and I was in the middle of the night and I was like, if I go to urgent care, it's going to cost me so much money. I was like, if I could just muscle through until the Isn't morning. Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. And <laughs> then, I can muscle through muscle appendicitis. Through. And yeah. so I call all the nurses in my life. And they're like, my sister-in-law's a nurse practitioner. And she's, I called her and she's like, Andrew, if you come in at 7 a.m. to the clinic tomorrow, she's like, I'm sending you to the emergency room. She's like, get your butt to the emergency room. And so my wife's driving me there and I'm passing out on the way. Because heaven like, forbid you should call an ambulance. <laughs> right. like, I don't need forbid. another tank. Right. Right. For sure. I was like, don't go to that hospital. Let's go to Maple Grove. It's better. And I was like, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, just the pain. I was like passing out from pain. And she's like, stay awake. Stay awake. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And then I got there and they were like, no, it's you're just you're dehydrated and your intestines turn to concrete. Oh, my God. There's so many things about America that I'm like, this makes no sense. <laughs> and only Americans think this way. Like Only in America would it occur to people to be like, like, I'll just muscle through. We have like, a very strong muscle through it mentality. It's um, not healthy. Yeah. Not, not not the best. But I'm glad you're alive. Hey. I'm glad you didn't <laughs> die from appendicitis. That would be a really embarrassing way to oh, die. Oh, it's so I embarrassing. Died. I thought about that too. I was like, it'd the be pride. so embarrassing. Yeah. No, it wasn't even the pride. It was just like, I don't want to waste, like, spend the money for this isn't, you know, just prep gas or something. Right. 
Oh man, you know, on trap guests. That's a then say too great much segue. pizza. No, yeah. but it is like that's like I think to to demonstrate the point is like that is how strong the need is here to feel like you have healthcare. You yeah, know? because it like you make life decisions based off of this of like will I do this or will I not do this? You know, I mean. That is like that's I just have a similar story of like I kept teaching for so long until like we were like, oh, my husband's going to just take on me and him on the plan. And then, yeah, it's not great. Yeah. And it is interesting thinking about what you just said of how many more people are just financially not able to make that switch or like have their gifts be just locked away in a drawer because they can't afford to take that jump. I mean, that's the thing is like there's the risk of getting sick. But there's also the risk of starting a business. And I think about how many risks that I take in business, being like, oh, I'm going to drop this much money to do that and yep. hopefully it pays off. But also tie into that the healthcare thing that you're like, we have such a hard time with that as well. It's like that it, it, it elevates that risk. And like there's so many people who maybe just need that $2,000 to follow the dream, start their business, but they get sick. And then, well, oh, I had to go to the emergency room because I thought I was sick and it cost me two grand. And now I don't have the two grand to follow my dream. Yep. And that risk tolerance piece is so crucial too. So like just the mindset of entrepreneurship is like, it is not for the faint of heart at all. Like if you need stability and reassurance and a steady paycheck, like this is, this is not the move. You might find yourself opening a store in five weeks, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's like, that's a, a really big muscle that needs to constantly be flexed in entrepreneurship, I think. And I think that's the most exciting part of it as well is like taking on the things that most people would say, oh, no, absolutely not. I'm like, ooh, you know, like, what if? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, how could we do that? I think that's like, it paints to your point, like, why that year, like, when you were living abroad is so, like, entrepreneurship and, like, travel, especially, like, solo travel is so, because it is, like, both of them are uncharted and you don't know. And it's, like, you're flexing that because a lot of people would book a trip and they're like, I need to have it all planned out for me or I'm just going to go to like, not to knock the resort in Mexico is really nice actually when you are an entrepreneur because you're like, I just need some fucking rest. Yeah. But it's like, you're like, I'm just going to stay at the resort and I'm not going to explore or experience, you know, because I need it to be so dialed in. Whereas like actual like backpacking travel is just like, yeah, it's a complete unknown. It's wild. And yeah, most of, you know, it was budget travel. And so like most places it was like hostels, of varying qualities, varying size cockroaches, you know, things. It was not the glamorous, like, uh, luxury travel at all. And it was, yeah, it was like, well, I guess I'm sharing a dorm room with a hundred people. Yeah. And there is a cockroach the size of a tennis ball on the ceiling. Cool, cool. No sleep for me tonight. Oh, I know. You know like, There's nothing like uh, you're like all of a sudden you're like 27. You're like, yeah, ba- bunk beds. I love bunk beds for yeah, me. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, but there is nothing less dignified than trying to get on the top. Yeah. Bunk bed. Like my my kids have bunk beds. And I can't even change the sheets on them. I'm oh like, get over there. Like yeah. get into the corner. And yeah. Yes. It's like I'm like, how does anyone do this? Oh my god, I know. Hilarious. I like just a side change. I didn't even know they made this. It was like looking at Airbnbs and I was like, they made a four like there's like four bunk beds I like stack. I was like, who even I was like, they're like it's always like when they're like two bedrooms, sleeps twenty, and you're yeah. like, what the fuck? Stacked in there like sardines. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. No. So I think it's interesting because I remember I was at one of your first like craft markets. Yeah, and I think you're at the very first one. I'm always you were literally overachiever. Yeah, I love it. Strong oath, yeah, event uh, <laughs> focus for a very long time. Yeah. But I like it's interesting because you were like, I'm barely holding it together. Was like what you felt in like on my side. I was like, oh, this person's like fucking cool. And like, look at them like multitasking this weirdness. I was like, 
Yeah, because then I, it almost like gave me permission then to be like, oh, I can like run this business and have kids and like do all of these things. So it's like you, it's interesting because you feel like you're only holding it together, but to everybody else, it's like giving them permission to like go and explore. So yeah, that, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. I know, but it's interesting because on the interior, yeah. you're like I don't. That's I think that like my background in events was such a key part of that training. Is like often. At an event, especially people like the guests don't know what's meant to happen when or, yeah. you know, whatever. And so like often you'd be the only one that knows, oh, well, we missed that timing or this was supposed to be out and it's not, or, you know, whatever. And so it's like a very good exercise in people see what you want them to see. And like if you're cool, calm and collected, people are having a great time. If you're running around panicked and yeah. stressed, people will see that and pick up on it and then they'll be like, oh, something's, something's missing, something's wrong. So like, it's a little bit of a bullshitting, you know, but for <laughs> sure. But like, and some of it is just like, well, I missed that. I didn't get it how I wanted it. I'll do it better next time. You know, it's yeah. just like constantly refining that stuff. But that's really sweet that you say that. And I, yeah, I take it very seriously as a parent. And I think my kids watch and hear and listen to more than I know about what I do and how I show up. And sometimes they'll say stuff to me. And I think, how do you even remember that? That was like two years ago. You were four at the time. And they'll say, remember when you when you did that thing in that place and you took us? And like, they see it all and yeah. they see what I'm doing. And that's, especially as a mother of girls, like that's super important to me, just that they see parent doing what they want and like living by their own rules and building something. Like that is not to knock anyone else and what they're doing, but like that's important to me is that my kids see that if they want something, they can work for it and get it. Mm -hmm. So I feel that so much. And then also sometimes I'm like, man, my kids are not like, they have not had to cut their teeth at all. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> but yeah, these kids are, yeah. My friend posted something the other day that was like, you know, in my day, we'd get to like go to the supermarket, go to grandma's house and throw sticks in the river if you're well behaved in the afternoon. Yeah. And these kids are like, <laughs> Splash pad, pizza party, movie night, like trampoline park. I'm like, what the fuck is a trampoline park? Yes. Wait, what? Who <laughs> <laughs> even not? And they're like, oh, I'm so bored. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've got some spoons you can polish. My gosh. Um, it's so true, though, because it's like for this generation, like the world is their oyster. But yeah. actually with that is a flip side of actually that you aren't having to see like the possibilities with it, like the super boring almost, yes. so to speak. They're very you know? rarely bored, yeah. genuinely. Like they have so much access to everything. And so, yeah, it's wild to see these. Well, you literally have the whole world in your pocket. I think we're going to have boredom parks soon. Someone's yeah. going to create a business that's like, send your kids to go be bored somewhere. It's like they take their phones. It's like all the walls are just painted white. They're just yeah. walking around being bored. Yeah. Make something. Here's some craft materials yeah. or something. Yeah. I like the, the white walls. I was like, that's a little. I was like the craftsman too. A little, little yeah. institutional. Yeah. Right. yeah, It's a little institutional. Yeah. But think about it. You give them some crayons. There's all these white walls. They can do whatever. Yeah. And you paint it the next day. Shit. That's a business idea. Do you have like lots of business ideas in your head? All Constantly. Yeah. Same. Yes. Yeah. What other ones do you have? I have this idea. It's called the Racehorse Catheter. It's a commercial. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. no, it's catheters for people who just like are too busy to sit down and go to the bathroom. I want to workshop that name because 100%. I'm like really envisioning a very wide catheter when you say that. And I'm like, that does not sound ideal. No, it's a joke that Larissa I always have. I'm always like, oh, I have to pee again, but I don't want to stop what I'm doing. I'm like, if I just had a catheter, I was like, but eventually you'd have to empty the catheter. Mm -hmm. 
That's true. Yeah, that's uh, I don't think that's a problem I want solved in society. So no, I can yeah. just use the bathroom. It's fine. I think that it's, it's workshopping the other one that is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is actually interesting. So my other weird business idea is actually going to touch on it saying that I was curious to ask you, which is like, you know, world where you have access to everything. Actually, I'm like, everybody knows it. Like the loneliness epidemic is like higher than it ever is, you know, and I was like, we have a space here and we were like, what if we actually created a space for clubs? And I actually kind of thought about you because I know you used to do stuff like the women's who women who whiskey club and everything. And I was like, it's so interesting in this world where we have access to everything, but we are like so disconnected as a society, uh-huh. you know, and I'm kind of curious. I was like, I felt like pre pandemic, I felt like society was a little bit more connected. And this might just be the story that I'm personally observing or whatever. But then I feel like post-pandemic, I feel like the event scene and like people connecting, it just isn't quite what it once was. A hundred percent. No, that's that's very real. And and that was like a part of a big part of my professional life as well and and social life. And maybe it's partly the phase of life I'm in yeah. at this age and with kids the age they are and stuff. One thing that I think is really missing in the Twin Cities that I often think like, oh, if money were no object, this is the kind of thing I would like to build is a grown-up, like, more of a, like, loungy space. I think there are a few places in town that are close to that, but I think when you get older and you don't want the rages and the messiness, but you want somewhere that's, like, private and intimate and vibey and just, like, those cool spaces, I think we don't have enough of those. I think we have plenty of, you know, various different kinds of bars and clubs, which is cool, but I think... Where do the grown-up people go? And I think the closest thing to that was Constantine and RIP. Like, that was one of my favorite bars in town. And, like, I think we just don't have enough older people grown-up spaces for hanging that are like, you know, I don't need to be out till three in the morning, but I want to go and have some good cocktails and, like... Yeah, so I, I would like to see more spaces like that popping up. Yeah, I mean, specifically here in the Twin Cities, we have just had this very hard time with, I think, this, like, the nightlife. Like, people oh my do... God, I know it does. It sucks. And it's like interesting because I see people keep on trying to like will it into the universe. Like people do try to build it here. And then the people just don't come. I had a friend open up a restaurant that was like, I am just going to try to be like a restaurant that is open up late, you yeah. know, for like, you know, people after hours. Like yeah. there's no place to go like at 10 p.m. here. No, there's really not. And he tried. And just like there's people like just don't come. Like I don't know what has to switch kind of here for like. I mean, that's not even like a older or younger thing. That just is like a thing is like, I don't know what it is about here specifically, yeah. but like people are just not into it. No, like, and just like going out at night, it's like dinner is at six <laughs> and you're home by eight because we all have to be up at 5 a.m. because yes. we're trying to build empires. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I've definitely noticed that like the times when I am out and I'm like, oh, you know, it's like 9 p.m. and I'm like hungry. Everyone's like, no, sorry, the kitchen closed it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like, and, and this this is the type of thing that going back to like London, I'm like, oh, you can go out for dinner at 11 p.m., yeah. 12, 12 a.m. Like you can find street food till five in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like those are the things. And it, partly it's a density thing, right? Of like, we just don't have the density of people. But even downtown, I'm like, how do we not have just like walk up, you know, oh, yeah. walk up like quick serve like pizza slices and mm-hmm. kebabs and 
stuff like that that's like I don't know I think that oh, there's like so much more that that could be here I'm always wondering if it has to do with the cold or something because I was just in Austin Texas and Austin is technically smaller than yeah. the Twin Cities you know or like Nashville technically smaller but all of these like I'm like is it a cold thing that we're just like because we like in the winter like I mean I know everybody has their parkas but I don't know like oh no yeah I don't know I think that I, that could be part of it seasonally for sure but I I think it's like a lot of it is the density and that was something I noticed like the past few times I went back to London is like you can go out on a Monday evening anywhere and the streets are yeah. just like thrumming with people you know and and I get it it's like a, a much bigger city population wise but I think that Part of what we struggle with here is just the sprawl and how there isn't that concentrated area. And I think the North Loop was that pre-pandemic and it was really starting to pop. And then the pandemic happened and then they built on all the parking lots. So you can't park anywhere there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like, I feel like that has kind of tapered off to be like a dense yeah. nightlife area. And then and then I think like things are popping up in weird places like Roseville and, you know, more of the, like, I think about Robbinsdale and how good of a job that has done as a suburb of like building that dense, you know, we're, we're a restaurant hub here. Yeah. You can come and find great food and drink. Like Robbinsdale, like who would have thought, you know, like it's, but that's what it needs is like this very concentrated, dense, like density approach. And I think that partly this is a mentality thing of a lot of people here, I think, struggle with oh not in my backyard kind of stuff yeah and it's like no we're a city like if you don't like having a restaurant or having a bar on your street or people being out and walking the neighborhood don't live in a city like mm-hmm. and and so i think there's that tension that exists with minneapolis is that the nimbyism is strong here i mean like one of my yeah. favorite barbecue places was like we they had to close operations because people were like we don't want the barbecue smoke anymore right I know. I live near uh, Ted's 19th hole and northbound smokehouse, like over on 38. Fucking love driving that street. It smells delicious. Like, what are you talking about? It smells like success. Yeah, sure. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's delicious. It smells like protein and success. Yes. Yes. So true. Smells like flavor country. No, I I think like that's a very real thing. And I I, like, when I think about what I'm working on and what I want to build and keep building like all of it is around density of people and bringing people together and concentration and mess like and it's that to me is like what makes a world-class city is like people out on the street at all times of day and night having a good time and this kind of idea of like safety is such a thing here as well that people seem to struggle with there's someone walking down my street and like Mm -hmm. curtains twitching and it's like yeah, you live in a city. That's what people do, you know? And so like, I really struggle with that as being not from here is just the mindset of what it means to be a homeowner and what it means to live in a certain place. A lot of people feel ownership of that in this very like paternalistic way and this very like, oh, well now I get to decide. And it's like, no, like, in London, everyone's just packed on top of each other and you just have to figure out how to get along with people who aren't like you because we're all everywhere, you know? And so, and I love that. Like, that's that's where the fucking magic happens. Yeah. It's like just that community feel, you know? Maybe you should lobby uh, city council to get rid of setbacks for yards. What's setback that? setback is basically a, a amount of space between yards, essentially, that people can't build up to. Mm. It creates that. That boundary. And I would think about it in other cities like London or even Chicago where the houses are oh, yeah. right next to each other. Yep. Right. And they have to be. You can build as close as you want. Yep. It kind of creates that like that weird space. People's bubbles here, I feel like, are 
huge. Like they yes. have this like, don't get too close to me. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing for like people as well as buildings here. Everyone's oh, yeah. like, you know. You go to restaurants and like people want their tables to be pretty far away. Yeah. When I remember in New York, I would go to restaurants and there were so many restaurants where it's just like one big long table. And yeah. you sit down right next to a person yep. and like you just squeeze in. She's like, oh, there's two feet here. I can sit here with my four friends. A hundred percent. And But also when you go to those cities, that's what you love about it. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? Like you love the crooked little bars where everyone's just packed in and I mean- right. Yeah, up to code, absolutely not. No. <laughs> no, like, but that kind of stuff of just that's what when we travel, I think that those are the things that people are so charmed by. You think about yeah. anytime someone goes to Dublin, like they love those packed bars and everyone on the streets at all times of day or night. Like, but then here, everyone's like, "Oh no, not on my street," you know. So it's kind of a weird. I think there's a very reserved like puritan oh yeah streak that runs through minneapolis that i'm like single-handedly trying to smash you're like dismantling it you're like (laughs) one event at a time i mean it's like very like it was interesting when i was in finland it was like the joke is there too is like there's a bus stop and everybody is six feet spaced apart and i very much so see that here too and i'm just like whereas it is like if you go into different cultures or anything it's just like a complete 180 of that experience but it's like I think that there's so much energy in that like lovely. It's not even like chaos because it's so organized like in other countries, like everybody knows where they're going. Like, you know, like you see like a moped scene and there's like 60 mopeds and people are like, how could you? And like all of them are like, I got no issues with this. Like we're going to get there. Same on public transport. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, any major city in the world is just like a it's a zoo and love it. So kind of like going back to your like Minneapolis craft market to kind of like talk about like you then decided like I'm going to open up like the Minneapolis vintage market then too. Was that kind of just like a natural thing or was it once again like you kind of saw like a need in the marketplace for it? Yeah. So originally that was a group of the vendors. We had done a couple of pop-up events through the craft market that were vintage focused and they were like bonkers. So we did the mini mile night market over by what is now um, All Square restaurant, that little triangle. And so we had a street market there. It was vintage focused. And there were people like blocking Hiawatha trying to cross the street to come to this event. Like it was tens of thousands of people. It was great. You were doing it. You were creating what you wanted. That was it. That yeah. was it. I was like, it's a hazard. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And so those were really well received. And then a few of the vendors were like, you know, we think that there is a market for this. And I honestly wasn't sure at that time. I was like, I just don't know if there is enough demand for it. And I was like, okay, well, let's try it. We'll do one a month. And it was immediately like there again, there was no concentration of that. So there were a few different vintage shop owners and people who had studios in different spaces, but there was no concentration or specific regular space for those. And so, yeah, it was adopted really quickly. And we do one market a month, again, like rotating venues. And we quickly outgrew like a lot of the venues that we used for the craft markets, like breweries and stuff like that, just immediately were like, we outgrew them. And so now we're kind of in this, you know, phase of the business where we have to be in those bigger event spaces like Machine Shop, Quincy Hall, (laughs) you know, those types of things or outdoor spaces. Yeah. And so then at what point were you you like, I'm going to stack on top of this and now become the COO of the Get Down Coffee? Can you tell me what that transition then was like? So Craft Market opened 2015, Vintage Market opened 2018. And then the get down started in 2020. And so it coincided with, you know, the pandemic, my business closed overnight. Mm -hmm. That was like no live events, no public gatherings. So at that point, my husband at the time was unemployed and we had two kids and I was 
covering the health insurance yeah. and the mortgage and everything. And then my business shuttered. And so I was like, oh, God. okay, um, well, time to figure out a whole new business in like six weeks. Yeah. So this was the, I had applied to, at the beginning of that year, beginning of 2020, I had applied to be in Luna Startups cohort three. And so my pitch to them as my application was, I want to launch this online marketplace that would essentially be a, a local version of Etsy. Mm-hmm. Etsy is a whole different discussion. But like yeah. I wanted to have for the craft market an online platform. And so I had planned to spend my year in Luna building out this very well thought out, well-designed, well-funded technology platform. And then the business closed overnight and I was like, well, I don't know how we're going to pay our mortgage. Like, let's figure out how to launch this. So we did it in six weeks and we launched this online platform and that kind of kept us going through the end of that year. But at the same time, I had become friends with Houston White and he's a North Minneapolis based designer and entrepreneur. And he hired me to do some virtual events for him at the beginning of the pandemic. And we really liked working together. And then he, after the murder of George Floyd, him and Dan from Dogwood came up with the idea of this new coffee company that was built to really like diversify an industry that as soon as it becomes, as soon as it comes to the US, specialty coffee becomes extremely whitewashed. Mm -hmm. So there's not a single white person in the world picking coffee. And yet somehow when it comes to the US, then it's in these bougie coffee shops. It's a very gatekept industry. It's very hard to break into. And it's kind of one of those things of like, you can't get the experience because you don't have experience, but then how are you supposed (laughs) to break in, you know? So it's a lot of, it's a very off-putting industry for people of color, you know, and so they came up with this idea of building the get down and trying to address some of those challenges. And we had already worked together on a couple of projects. And so Houston asked me to help him with the crowdfunding campaign. So we were going to launch this crowdfunding campaign, see if we could raise $50,000 in community support through small donations. And then that was kind of our proof of concept of like, do people believe in this as an idea? And so we did that in that fall, September, we launched our campaign and we crushed it. And then we were like, okay, I think we have a viable business. And then we started roasting the beans out of Dogwood space using their staff and selling online. And then a year later, we opened our cafe. And then year two, we opened our roastery. And then this Friday is our third year anniversary. Oh, yay! Black Coffee Friday. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Was that always the intention? What? Black Coffee Friday. Yep. It was always, we always called it Black Coffee Friday. Yeah. Marketing gold, right? It is gold. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's also sold in Target. I know it once was. Is it still sold in Target? Yep. So our beans are in Target. And then we have a few wholesale partners around town. We um, serve our coffee at Alma, at Soka downtown, Jay Selby's, a few different restaurants and stuff. So what is it like as a day in the life of Haley when, because technically you're running like three different businesses that very much so are a full-time job in every single right. So like, what does this Venn diagram look like in your day-to-day life? (laughs) It's a a little spaghetti junction Venn diagram, I would say. Like it's, a lot of it depends on kind of the seasonality of things and what the priorities are for that week or that month. I would say I'm never really just focused on one thing. I'm constantly dipping in and out. Like I literally work on all three businesses every single day. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that can be challenging is that I feel mentally like it's harder to feel like I make progress because I just am chipping away at each thing rather than being immersed. 
having said that, I would say that, you know, November and December are definitely more craft market heavy because this is our yeah. crazy time of year. Like we make 75% of our revenue in November and December. And and then that is the revenue that lasts me through April when we're not really doing events right. January through yeah. April. So it's just this constant like ever humming pot of stuff. And sometimes that can feel overwhelming. And so that's when I really need to like step back and be very intentional about what I'm focused on and what our goals are. And and also a big part of it for me is like building systems to make those things easier is like a really key part of the work that I do and hiring people to like, I'm, I'm a big proponent of anything that you can hire someone else to do, you should. Okay. Yeah. Like what is the stuff that only I can do? Yes. That's what I should be doing because I can guarantee you that I, if I can pay someone else to do it, I pay you $20 an hour, I can make more money for the business or more progress for the business yeah. in than what it would cost me to pay that person. Right. And so I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs about that stuff where, you know, we, I work with a lot of small business owners, this, particularly in the craft market and the vintage market where people have the mindset of, I can't afford to hire someone to do my shipping and fulfillment or hire someone to do customer service emails. And what I would encourage them to think about is like, okay, if you spend eight hours, like one day doing shipping and fulfillment a week and you pay someone $20 an hour to do that for you, that's 20 times eight, 160. Like what could you do in those eight hours? I guarantee you can make more than $160 for your business. Yeah. And so it's more of this mindset shift of like, what is the opportunity cost of not having someone else do those pieces? And I think that's what like really helps you level up. And that's been something that I've been very deliberate about is how do I, you know, think about the levels of of work in my businesses and how do I keep pushing everyone to only be working at their highest level. Mm -hmm. So like whatever you're capable of doing at the highest level is what you should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to grow it so much that I fire myself. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's what it should be. And so like that was a conscious decision for me. Um, Right around this time last year, I decided not to be physically present at any of the markets anymore. I'm giving you a high five for the people that are listening. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That was a massive thing because I had spent eight years being at almost every single event start to finish. Right. And it got to a point where I was exhausted. And when I really stepped back and looked at it, I was like, is standing at the door checking tickets the best use of my time Mm -hmm. and the best use of my brain power? What could I be doing in this time that would help move us further along? And that was just such a big shift to me in personally my own well-being and just not feeling like I was a husk of a human being for eight years at this time of year because Mm -hmm. I was just so spent and had another six weeks to go and you know no end in sight and when you start to step back and think am I essential here or is this just a need for control or you know sometimes people will say oh well where's Haley and it's like you know sometimes like how people perceive that is none of my business. Yeah. You know, like people will have opinions on whether you should or shouldn't be doing certain things all the time. And my focus is on how do I get to where I'm trying to go? Yeah. And, you know, so it there's always like adjustment periods with that. But one of the things that I did last year was 
We only worked at venues that we had previously been at. So I've had a lot of my staff since the beginning. So two of my staff have worked with me for eight years. And so they knew those venues inside out. I didn't need to be there. You don't need me. Like I'm just surplus to requirements at this point. And so that was a great shift in for me scaling the business and giving myself like permission to not be there and trusting the team. And they crushed it, like, of course. But I think as entrepreneurs, it's often hard to let go of some of those things you or you think that people are gonna think that you have to be very visible and if you if you're trying to scale you can't be you're one person so if you want to be like in your shop every all day every day or whatever like that's fine you right right and part of it is like well is that the best use of your time is it going to help you move the business forward is it going to help you scale if that's what you want to do like probably not yeah so think about those things you know was there a catalyst to kind of like because that is like a seismic mindset shift that I feel like entrepreneurs, you either kind of do or you don't make a little bit. Was there a catalyst that kind of got you to this point that you were like, something has to change? Yeah, I think it was just that feeling of Christmas is my favorite holiday and I love holiday season. And I it got to a point where I felt like I never enjoy this. Every year I'm maxed out. I'm exhausted. I, I'm not enjoying any of the things I want to enjoy at this year, or, or I'm not even attending most of the things. I'm missing out on my kids' stuff. Yeah, Some of those just like quality of life pieces. Yeah. And so, you know, just being able to spend that time and not just feel constantly at my maximum. And that's how I felt. And that was like a really big wake up signal to me is like, everything can't always be a five alarm fire all the time. Like it's not sustainable. And that was how it felt was like, it wasn't anything emergency. Like those things come up and you can't be planned for, but you know every year that this is the season and this is the time to make the money. And, you know, so like, how can you do that differently so that you're not just at breaking point every year and like usually getting sick by the time you actually do take time off because your body is just spent you know oh yeah and so often like I was finding when I actually do stop I'm just a mess so it wasn't it wasn't healthy it wasn't sustainable I wasn't enjoying it yeah and I really try and focus on like what feels good like what do I enjoy what what feels like rewarding Mm -hmm. and when it stops being fun like part of what I love about being a business owner is I get to say I don't want to do that anymore (laughs) like I don't have to do that Like, if I don't like it, I don't have to do it. I think it's very, like, it takes almost, like, a breaking point to get to that point, though, where you, like, realize that you do have that power to say, I don't want to do that anymore. Because it is, it's, like, it's so interesting is, like, you do have that power. But for some reason, when you're, like, it's hard to actually exercise that power sometimes. Like, I've been trying to personally exercise it more. I'm, like, oh, right. I'm the owner? (laughs) Yeah. 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 My boss is. And also, oh, wait, that's me. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm doing that to myself. It's, like, so interesting because you're just like so pissed sometimes you're like oh it's it's me at the end of the day like I think there's also this like kind of like self-flagellation thing with entrepreneurs where you feel like unless I'm constantly so busy yes then no one thinks I'm working and it's like I don't give a fuck if anyone thinks I'm working like I if I'm I don't have to be burnt out to show that I'm working hard like how I measure whether I'm working hard is whether I'm like hitting my targets whether I'm reaching the things that I want to accomplish like that doesn't have to be at the sake of like me being a good 
partner or parent or yeah. human being to myself. Yeah. Right. So we're in a similar wavelength right now, just I so think you so. know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've been on this big, I think I mentioned it on a previous podcast, but I'm on this big, uh, my big thing right now is that people don't want work life balance, but they want work life fulfillment and feeling fulfilled. And I feel like entrepreneurs, we do a real hell of a good job on feeling work fulfilled. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking like, I mean, but almost to your Dutch, but to your detriment because your life fulfillment thing is so empty sometimes. <laughs> Probably empty. So empty. And then it hits you one day and you're like, hey, I feel fortunate enough. Like I will be turning 40 in April. And I'm like, I feel fortunate enough to realize it now because yeah. it's like people that I really look up to. I'm like, you know, what is like life lessons or something? They're like, I wish I spent more time with friends and family at the yeah. end of the day because yep. like that's who truly mattered. And I was like, I've been telling myself and I've got into a real bad pickle the past like 40 hours. It was like BFC. I'm like, I was like, who am I even more? And then I'm really trying to be like intentional of being like, I did a shit job of it this morning. I was like, hold pause, Andrew. I need to go do like 8,000 things that are not this podcast related. You know, I still worked out. Very proud of myself. But I feel it. But I at least have like I'm recognizing it. And I'm like, I don't want this for myself. So what do I need to do to change this? Because it is. I feel you on that. Like when you were talking about the holidays, I was like, I got to the holidays to Christmas every time. And I was like, I didn't even get to do one thing that I love. Right. And then you do, you just get like sick post-holiday and you're yep. like, oh, that was, that was it. Folks. And you're constantly thinking of like what I realized I was, the time that I did spend doing things with the family or, you know, any of that stuff, I was constantly just, oh, I should be doing something yeah. else. Yeah. No. And like, that's not how I want to live. You know, it's a really challenging thing. As someone had, when you, going back to your point, someone had asked me a while back, like, oh, what do you like to do? You know, like, what are your hobbies or whatever? And I was like... It was kind of gross. Like I just sat there and I thought like, I don't do anything. Yeah. All I do is work, you know, and I love my work and that is very fulfilling to me. But like, if you ask who I am outside of my work, I didn't know what to say. And that was like a big wake up call to me that, oh, maybe you should take up a hobby or maybe you should have time to be able to enjoy something. If that's what you truly want to do. If you want to. Right. If you want to. You don't want I, to should yourself. No, no, no. That's true. That is true. But yeah, I felt like, oh, I used to I used to have things that would roll off that I would say, oh, I like to cook or I like, yeah. oh, I don't even have time to cook anymore. Like, yeah. what the fuck? I think that's something for me is I, like, I love cooking and I really fell off it in the last couple of years. But it's, it's those days where I say on Sunday, I'm going to just spend the day cooking. Yeah. And I, I get done with that day and I feel so fulfilled as the all the meals I made. I'm like, why don't you just tell yourself that you can do this yeah. on Sundays? Like you feel so good about this. We do spaghetti Sundays at my house. So we have the KitchenAid pasta attachment Ugh. and my kids love it. So we make homemade pasta, not every single week, but like we yeah. try and do that on Sundays. And it's like the one meal that everybody is like, oh shit, yes, it's yes. good. You know, there's like no turning up of noses and they help make it all. And it's very very adorable. I love slow cooking. Yeah, it's the best. That is to me, so like my love language is gifts and I always say like food is the biggest gift. Like you can make me scrambled eggs on toast and I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever received. Like it's such a, to me, it's such an act of care and love and partly it's a cultural thing for me, I think, of like Americans rush their food so like everything's like eaten while walking along and I'm like, no, I want the four hour slow dinner with conversation. Like, don't come back to the table to ask if we need anything just you know like don't rush us out don't put the check down before we're ready just like let us sit here and that to me is the kitchen table and the having people 
over and just with no expectation on time limits, oh, that's the best. Yeah. That's that's my only goal in life. Like when I talk about all this like business goals and stuff, that's my personal goal is like to have the kitchen table that everyone feels welcome at and comes and sits at uninvited, just stop by whenever there's a glass of wine for you, there's a cup of tea for you, there's a coffee, like yeah. just come and hang out. That's like, that's goals. Yeah. I feel like I know I want to do spaghetti Sunday with my I kids. Like, yeah. yeah. It's, they'll love it. Oh, I know. We made Rice Krispie treats for the first time the other day and they yeah. were like, this is the they best thing we Yeah. They were like, <laughs> yeah. I was just more trying to like, I was like, Rice Krispies, that does not have 8,000 pounds of sugar in it. We yeah, were trying yeah, this yeah. as a cereal this weekend. Yeah. They were on Cinnamon Toast Crunch for a while and they, I was like, just looked at the back. I was Popped like, up. I yep. was like, whoa, how much sugar is in this <laughs> fucking thing? Yeah. And I was like, yep. okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just really curious because we kind of were like, what is next for you now? Oh, yeah. I have an idea I'm working on. I'm not quite ready to talk about it yet. But, hey, okay. Um, yeah, I have a little a little idea that's been percolating and it's in research phase right now. So it's probably a two-year project okay. like to launch, but I'm very excited about it. It's something that makes a lot of sense for me personally and based on the other things I've done and my like experience and who I am in the world, it makes a lot of sense, I think. And the few people I have told her about it are like, oh shit, yeah, that's that's going to be yeah. good. Like that makes a lot of sense. So so I have something in the hopper there. And then, yeah, just trying to grow the get down. We have huge plans for scale and building a pizza restaurant next to the coffee shop next year. So that's going to be a big project. Um, that area of town is like really, lo- really lacking in places to eat. Yeah. There's just not a lot of options over there. And so... It's something that the neighborhood is really missing. And so Bruce Leroy's Pizza Company will be coming to Camden Town next year. And so, yeah, that's going to be really exciting. And craft market and vintage market just uh, continuing and potentially growing some new things there. So, yeah, lots of stuff. So it sounds like really fun and exciting things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Paris Fashion Week, too, is another thing. Uh, So I've been, yeah, it's just like another Another, another thing that you've been doing. <laughs> no yes, big deal. Yes, yes. It's cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I work with a travel agency out of St. Louis called Limitless Planet. And the past couple of years, we have hosted trips to London Fashion Week. Yeah. And then next year, we're going to be doing Paris Fashion Week in September. So I'm very excited for that. That's, yeah. So we lead a group tour. So anyone who is interested in joining that trip, it will be um, on my website. And uh, we'll have dates and registration info coming soon on that. But it will be a week-long trip to Paris Fashion Week. I just love it. I just like, I have to say, like, I love your like, well, this doesn't seem to exist. So I think I'm just going <laughs> to make it then. So yeah. then everybody, I want this for, to exist for me. So I guess I'm just going to build it because nobody else seems to be building it. Yeah. It's funny. Like, I think that that's just how my brain works is like, well, why isn't this a thing that exists? Like, oh, I know how I could do that. Like, and these are the steps and then it's a thing. And then on to the next thing. Like, and That's, yeah, I just, I really enjoy that. And I think it's something that is kind of innate to who I am as a person. I don't think that will ever stop. Like, I don't think I'll ever retire. Mm -hmm. Like, it will just be maybe different levels of working on stuff. But the goal is ultimately to be, to generate enough wealth that you're completely free from any idea or expectation of having to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then just solely being able to focus on what do I want to do? Like mm-hmm. how do I mm-hmm. want to spend my time? What do I want to build? And having the resources to do that and bringing everyone along with me. Yeah. And is the goal. Oh, I love it. Too. 
Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being Thanks on for having me. the World's Okayest Entrepreneur Podcast. I feel like we're pretty okay. Yeah. I think we're a pretty okay bunch. 100%. Yeah. I mean, we, eggs. as we said when I started out, I was, like, did not realize that I booked this the day before Thanksgiving. So, yeah. No, it, just, it felt like a little treat leading into the, like, my holiday has started right now. I, I know. This, yeah, this I feel. Feels really it actually is like very centering because otherwise I'd be ping ponging around being like, what do you need? Right. You just go home, bake some cookies or brine a turkey or I know. whatever the fuck you got to do tonight. I don't actually know what we're going to do. I bought the pre-cooked turkey. I'm like, I cannot. Turkey is like, like not one of my, like. It's the worst meat. Yeah. It's objectively the worst meat. Yeah. It is. Like unless, unless it's like the Disneyland, like turkey drumstick is the only thing that I actually like. The so. worst and the biggest. Yeah. Which makes it even worse. Right. Like there's just so much of it. No, that's where, yeah, we actually are going somewhere. So it's totally fine. So yeah. We have a weird fun thing on like Saturday that I'm still just kind of like, what do I actually want to make? You all, you all are coming to my house, so I'm gonna just make whatever I want to make. So yeah, you're the boss. That's right. I'm yeah. the boss. I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want. Sorry, everybody, if you want a yeah. turkey and stuffing, yeah. I don't want to make it. No, so, yeah, you want it? Go make it yourself. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> as we should say that every holiday. Yeah. Just like go piss get, off. Yeah, piss, piss off. off. <laughs> I'll do I want. <laughs> Worked for me this far, so yeah. oh, piss off! Happy holidays. Yeah, <laughs> that's the end. that's your next card. That's your next year. Yeah, yeah I know. Next oh my God. actually, that's a fun idea. Can we do a little Haley HMJ? Uh, yeah, studs. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like the ring. Too. Oh, there you go. Yeah, piss off. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So when you punch someone in the face, it can like stamp on their face. <laughs> Sorry, too far. Like, I like piss off more than like I like like fuck off is one of the most popular. Like it's more it's pretty popular, but I don't know why piss off feels just more. I think it's just got like a little fun twist on it. Yeah, it's very it's PG. I feel like mm-hmm. my, it's something my grandma would say. Like, yeah, grandma would never have said fuck off, but she might tell you to piss off. I mean, I feel yeah. like. Piss was like my first swear word as a oh, kid. Really? Oh, actually, like after that, there were potty words. That's what all of a sudden. Yeah, potty Alistair's words. Alistair's like, I couldn't take care of the whole situation. Alistair's at like a Catholic yeah. school right now at the moment. And it's just as funny because he's done a couple of things. that I'm like, that's interesting, buddy. He was like, well, those are potty words, mama. And I was like, huh? and we're just talking about like pee and poop, not like my swear yeah, yeah. words or anything oh, like yeah. that. Like, yeah, because they just used to be like shaking my booty yeah <laughs> they were we, like we took my eldest to a montessori and the first week that she was there i picked her up and it was like in a church it wasn't affiliated yeah. but so i go to pick her up and she was like just turned three and the teacher goes does anyone in the home say quit dicking around and i was <laughs> like mm? <laughs> um i'll work is that on an that. issue yeah. yeah and i was like but were they in fact dicking around yeah. she was like they were i was like well i don't know what to you tell know, you if yeah. she used it correctly like yeah. i don't know what to say yeah why do you have an issue with this i don't know i kind of like put dicking around like chop, yeah. chop. i Let's feel go. like that's some creative use of language yeah yeah awesome okay now we're gonna end the podcast yeah now, we'll end it. Yeah. now no, oh no, no totally it's okay <laughs> oh very fun If today's episode resonated with you just as much as it did with us, we would love for you to reach out to us via email at hello, hello at the OKS pod or on social media. Your little uh, words of encouragement or shares are honestly one of the best things that we love about doing this podcast. So if you've reached out in the past, thank you. Reread them. And Andrew and I do a little mini happy dance every time that we read them. And then if you haven't yet or you've been thinking about reaching out to us, please do. We love those words so much. And or if you want us to talk about a topic or you think you know of a guest, um, we're currently booking our 2024 season. So please reach out to us at hello at the OKS pod if you know someone or yourself and you would like to be on the podcast. 
Um, and please just love, give it five stars and rate it and share it with a friend. That's the best way for our podcast to grow. Um, and we appreciate you all so much. And obviously, when this is coming out, happy holidays. So you're probably in the thick of it right now when this is coming out. But just happy holidays in general. And if you're listening to this in August and you're on a beach or whatever... Just know the holidays are coming. It's like it comes. It's a vicious cycle. So It comes yeah. so fast. Yes. It's like a whirlwind over here. Have an okay week. Have an okay holiday. And we'll talk to you next time.